Well, hello there, and welcome back to another episode of my weekly, almost weekly show. My apologies, last week, I was just too tired, still recovering from COVID-19, so couldn't manage to record uh, this show. But it's Monday, that I'm, that's the day that I'm recording this, so today I seem to have enough energy. This episode is brought to you in front of a live audience. Uh, I always stream these shows in case you're just a podcast listener, but you'd like to see how this is recorded. Uh, and if you have time, by all means, check, take a look at uh, my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash fatherodrick. That's usually where you can find the live stream and a vibrant community that I interact with usually before and after the show. So if, the, if that's your cup of tea, then uh, you're more than welcome to join me live. And if not, podcast is also there for you. Uh, it's one of the huge advantages of, of a podcast is it just shows up in your, in your um, podcast app and you can listen to it whenever you want. It doesn't really matter. I've been a fan of podcasting ever since the invention, <laughs> since the dawn of podcasting in 2005. And I, I've been podcasting since 2005, 15 years incredible. Time flies when you're having fun. Speaking of which, <clears throat> I've not had that much fun. Uh, this, especially yesterday, was pretty bad. Um, the the post-COVID recovery is very slow. And there are days that I have energy and I can work. And like today, I'm actually feeling fine. This morning was tough but this afternoon I'm feeling fine but there are also days where I plan stuff and then it just doesn't work as I I'm so tired that I can barely stand on my feet and that was the case yesterday uh, on Sunday I wanted to stream the international mass like I do every week um, and I've, I've been doing that since the beginning of, of the corona crisis worldwide and then I just I don't know I was so exhausted that I, I knew I had to, to cancel it. And it, it hurt me and it pained me to do that. But I've been very much encouraged by the community, by you also. Uh, everyone tells me, take it easy. Never go over your boundaries. If you feel that you're not up for it, just leave it be. Uh, you need to recover first. Your health comes first. And you can only be there for other people when you're also there for yourself, which kind of jives, I think, with the the uh, the, the gospel reading of this past Sunday, which was this very short passage where Jesus says uh, that the entire law and the prophets can be summarized in basically two commandments. You have to love God above everything with all your heart, with your entire being, and love your neighbor as yourself. And as yourself, self-care, that is very important uh, in, in this time of recovery, I notice. Uh, and I talked about that also in the latest episode of The Walk, in case you want to hear some more thoughts about that and a more uh, in-depth update on how I'm doing. So let's go to the news. You know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. Face it, Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. So the situation is still worsening worldwide when it comes to COVID-19. Um, of course, if you live in North America, you, you, you have heard about the spikes and the, the ongoing uh, in increase in, in infections. Um, I think the United States, probably because of the climate and slightly warmer temperatures, I feel that the North America is a little bit behind on Europe. Over here, we're already heading into, into autumn or fall. And since the temperatures are going down, it's starting to rain more and storm. People are inside. And so the infection rate is increasing uh, uh, at a very scary pace. And from the looks of it, this is going to be worse than in March. And it's also probably because people are more kind of used to the situation. They're more nonchalant. They're less vigilant. I see that all the time. And uh, the... Well, people, people are really worried about the rest of the year. Are we even going to be able to celebrate Christmas? Or is every, everything going to be in lockdown just to prevent our hospitals from, um, from not being able to cope with the, with the situation? And we're, we're really getting there very quickly. So 
almost on a daily basis, we get this data about the the rise, the, the numbers that rise. And then, uh, of course, every week our government is deciding whether to scale it up in terms of uh, lockdown. So currently we're kind of in a moderate lockdown. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if we will have to go into a total lockdown in uh, m- maybe this week or maybe next week. Um, they have to really flatten the curve very quickly. Otherwise, our uh, you know, this is all... Of course, uh, uh, the the increase it doubles every week, so it's it's the, the the incline is so steep that in in a few weeks' time you can have a massive health crisis, and so um, yeah, I'm I'm a little bit anxious, uh, and, and if if we are going into a total lockdown, that will also have of course a massive a massive impact on my work because I can't really go out and film people i could go out i probably will uh, be allowed to do that because working in the media is, is, is you know part of the essential um jobs that that so i i could still go out there and film but who will want to <laughs> come out when there's so much risk to be infected who will who can i find that will for an interview I think a lot of people will rather wait until this is over. So, I don't know. We'll see. We'll just It's like with my own recovery. We just have to wait and see and just take it as it is. We can't really change the situation. We can only try to adapt and make the most of, uh, of it. So, that's what I'm planning to do. Um, <clears throat> in other news, uh, have you ever heard of James Randi? Uh, James Randi is called himself a paranormal investigator. Um, and I've been following uh, a number of his videos ever since I saw his TED Talk a couple of years ago. Um, he died uh, at a very advanced age. I think he was in his 90s. And it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating guy. Uh, he used to be um, a magician and uh, even an escape artist in his younger years. And then uh, at one point he did, he saw I think what triggered him is that he saw a pastor uh, in church performing a trick basically a, a very common trick used by magicians to try to convince his congregation that he had divine powers and so when uh, James Randi uh, uh, criticized his pastor he was kicked out. And uh, and he's he's been ever since that moment he's he's been on this quest to to debunk all these paranormal claims. He doesn't like the word debunking. He prefers to, to call himself an investigator. He's just looking at uh, reports of paranormal uh, abilities and events with a very skeptical eye, uh, and of course with the added knowledge of how tricks work and how you can distract people from seeing what you're actually doing um and so he if you, if you look him up on uh, on youtube you'll find a ton of videos where he uh unmasks these um uh, clairvoyant people the these mediums etc and also duplicates a lot of their tricks and then he explains how how he does it um so it is a i think of um uh Someone who, who who did a, a great service to to humanity. Um, I have great respect for skeptics because they prevent us from believing anything. And that may sound a bit contradictory because I'm also a priest, and so it's my business to help people believe in stuff they can't see. But I'm a Catholic priest. I'm a Catholic theologian. I'm a I'm a philosopher. And so I'm also all about science and all about uh, proof and all of. But there is a difference between credulence and faith. Uh, and so the Catholic faith is not about miracles. It's not about uh, paranormal activities that we should believe in. Yes, there are a, a number of things in our life that we cannot explain, but it does not always mean that that those events have a a supernatural origin. Um, But I always want to emphasize that it's important to know that faith is about a relationship. 
Faith is not belief in miracles. Faith is trusting Jesus, is trusting God. And God himself, of course, is uh, unprovable because he's, uh, in a, he's, we're talking about the difference between physics and metaphysics. God is not a thing. It's not a being. God is not like the gods in ancient mythology, uh, just like us, but with superpowers. God is not Superman. Um, God is the being itself. He is what makes everything be. Um, so, so God is not created. God is, is not on the same level as we are and, and the entirety of, of creation. And the moment you reduce God to a being, then uh, it always goes wrong. And so it was interesting to see that in, in a number of videos, James Randi talks about his uh, atheism. Uh, he says, you know, I, I, I've never seen proof of the existence of God, um, and I don't think I'll ever get it. However, he's a very, very honest atheist. Actually, I would say he's more agnostic. Uh, the difference is an atheist will deny that there is a God, and an agnostic will say, well, I don't know. I don't have an opinion. It could be, but there is no proof. So I cannot prove that God does not exist. I cannot prove that God does exist. And so, well, we'll see when we get there. <laughs> I guess that James Randi may have answers now uh, that he that he didn't get in this life. But I think that's the honest attitude. We cannot really, as a, a scientist, an astronomer, or a uh, you know, a chem, chem, what is this, chemist? We we can explain uh, a lot of things. We can uh, unravel how this universe works and its laws, but we can only speak about what we can measure. Uh, we can only speak about what we can em em empirically prove, um, but we cannot say anything definitely definitively about something that that goes beyond the realm of the of the physical and so this whole the the importance of metaphysics in philosophy is extremely important the moment you 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 forget about that that fundamental difference between our created world and the creator god himself you always will have will 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 um bump into a wall when it comes to the discussion about god and i think a lot of the critical atheists are often um, very critical and righteously so uh, on on certain forms of Christianity for instance groups of Christians that will take the Bible literally and will say well the world is just a couple of thousand years old or dinosaurs never existed there were ruse of, of, of the devil etc etc people that will completely uh, ignore the fact that the Bible consists of many books that have been written over many, many centuries, different literary genres. All these stories have their context. All these stories or often come from a narrative, an, an auditory uh, culture, and have been written down sometimes hundreds of years later, giving layers of interpretation, etc. If, if you discard all that and just take the Bible as if it was written by God himself behind his typewriter... You know, that's the kind of Christianity that always gives, I think, Christians a bad name. And, of course, will also give critics a lot of reason to be extremely critical. So, well, this is a long discussion, but uh, the, the thing I want you to remember is that at least Catholic theology is never opposite of or opposed to science, opposed to philosophy, opposed to logic. The truth can never contradict itself. And if God is the source of truth and is truth himself, God cannot contradict himself, right? And so I'm always very much in favor of staying critical. Always ask questions. And if something cannot, if you cannot explain something, you may have to add the word yet. I cannot yet explain this we cannot yet understand this does it mean that miracle miracles are impossible i don't think we can say anything about that because miracles also go beyond our the realm of 
of our of our you know our physical world. Um, so you you cannot disprove. Well, of course, fake miracles you can disprove them, and you can try to uncover what's really going on, like what James Randi did. But if what what's always important is to understand, miracles are never miracles for the sake of just spectacle, at least not in Catholic Christianity. If you look at the Bible, Jesus never does a miracle just because he feels like it. He, the miracles that we read about in these stories are always uh, are happenings that have a reason, that have a message, that want to help us look at the world in a different way, look at each other in a different way. There, a lot of the healings that Jesus does are to incite people to have mercy on the sick, to show that he is not excluding the sick, but he embraces them and invites us to do the same because Christianity is all about a relationship and trying to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And it's not about spectacle. It's not about enter- entertainment. When Jesus walked on water, <laughs> it wasn't to, to, to be a YouTube star. <laughs> he wanted to show that he is above death, that he can vanquish what, whatever makes us anxious and afraid, and that he is stronger than that and above it all, and if we hold on to him, we can be too. That, that, that is the context of a lot of these miracles. So check it out, James Randi, on YouTube if you're interested in that sort of stuff. It's fascinating. Time to talk a little bit about movies and TV shows. All the theatrical releases have been pushed to 2021, of course, because of COVID. So I think next year may be one of the best years for lovers of movies, as, of course, provided that we we have a vaccine and that... You know, we're, we're rid of the coronavirus. But, uh, wow, there's so many movies waiting for us in 2021. <laughs> not like movies. They're predictable. Like, the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. All right, so one of the movies that has been postponed uh, this past week, unfortunately, is Ghostbusters Afterlife, the long-awaited sequels to Ghostbusters 1 and 2. I think there was a little blip on the radar that had to do with Ghostbusters just two years ago. We don't talk about that. That was probably just an illusion. But anyway, <laughs> there's going to be this this third Ghostbusters movie um, that... I think is going to be awesome because it's got all the ingredients to, I think, honor the legacy of the Ghostbusters franchise. And gosh, I was looking forward to seeing it this year. But we'll have to wait until June 2021. The advantage of that new date is that it it may premiere on the same date as the original first Ghostbusters movie. So that is kind of (laughs) cool. Then... Uh, well, the only source for me for, for, for new movies, or at least new to me, is Netflix, Amazon Prime, and Disney+. And, of course, the biggest thing that I'm looking forward to, just like all of you, is The Mandalorian Season 2, this upcoming Friday. Can't wait to see where they take the stories. I've been hearing so many good things about it. I saw an interview just the other day with uh, Esposito, the guy who plays the the... The, the imperial dude with the dark saber and f- f- the, the little hints that he gives are making me even more excited and curious because maybe he's not just a bad guy maybe there's a lot of there are a lot of layers to his to his character which is i think something you can do very well in a television show compared to a tv uh, compared to a to a regular theatrical release where you have to just cut corners one of the biggest frustrations of a lot of Star Wars fans with the last three Star Wars movies is that it just goes so quickly. They try to cram in so much in every movie and a lot of it remains um, undeveloped. And I think one of the reasons that The Mandalorian is such a success is that it, it can take its time. It doesn't, it's not a very complicated story. It has a lot of depth, but 
the characters really get time to to show their backstory, show their motivations, to change, all that. It's stuff you can't do in a, in, in a regular movie, but you can take your time in a television show. And I think that they're going to do the same with the bad guys. They're not just going to be these evil, you know, dark saber-wielding uh, uh, super villains. I think there's going to be a lot of nuance to to these these bad characters, to these evil characters, uh, these dark side characters. And that, I think, is going to elevate Star Wars to new levels of excellence. Anyway, that's coming up uh, this upcoming weekend. Um, and of course, uh, if I have time and energy, I will uh, record some new YouTube videos with commentary on uh, on the second season, just like I did for the first season. In case you've missed those, you can always go to youtube.com slash fatheroderick and look at my Star Wars playlist, and you'll find my... I think I did a commentary on every episode of the first season of The Mandalorian. I did watch a movie that I skipped in theaters. Um, maybe it was all because it was already Corona time, or maybe I was just too busy. Terminator Dark Fate. Another sequel in the Terminator franchise. You can't really call it a saga because they've been messing around so much with the timeline and so many of these movies are contradicting each other. This apparently was supposed to be a sequel more or less to the second movie, ignoring all the events and possible timelines in the other movies. Uh, The third Terminator movie, the Terminator... What else there... Genesis, it was Genesis was last year, right? Or two years ago. I actually really like that one. Um, but they have chosen to completely ignore that as if it never happened. And so I was looking forward to, to Terminator Dark Fate because they would bring back Schwarzenegger, this time for real, not just a CGI recreation of uh, Schwarzenegger in his prime years. They'd bring back the character of Sarah. Uh, and it seemed to be... Uh, I, li- I like the original idea that... You know, what if Sarah Connors had really fixed the future? And so, because of the events in Terminator 2, the, the, this, this evil future uh, where Skynet takes over everything and then sends back assassins uh, to, to kill, you know, their, whatever, whoever menaces their future, all that, those future, th- that future is now non existent. I was like, okay, so it's interesting. So now anything basically can happen. And gosh, with so much potential story-wise, they make such a boring, completely bland movie. Oh my gosh, this is definitely the worst Terminator movie I've seen. The worst in terms of missed opportunity. I Who was... Who was looking at these scripts and said, we're going to green light this? This is just so generic. It's basically a very watered-down version of Terminator 2. Um, so in the, in the beginning of the movie, we see, and this is also in the trailer, so it's not a big spoiler, that Schwarzenegger's Terminator is sent back from a different future now, still killing the son of Sarah Connors. Um. And then we're supposed to believe that years later that is still haunting her and but and then puts and then the Schwarzenegger T1000 is still around still alive and then they they meet each other and but there, so there's there's a lot of potential there for for character development for an interesting relationship all that is completely wasted they don't spend a second you know, with good writing or good dialogue that makes us feel for these characters. It was like everything felt like cutboard, cut out, what is it, cardboard, cardboard characters. No depth whatsoever, no story development. Uh, the, the overall plot was just a repeat. Uh, just why, why bother making a movie like this? Even... The special effects were pretty mediocre and uh, didn't look anything better than, than what we saw in Terminator 2. Terminator 2 is like, I don't know, 20 years old, 25 years old. <laughs> they couldn't really elevate any aspect of the franchise with this movie. It was a massive missed opportunity. 
And in that respect, I'm I'm giving this two, th- ten thumbs down. Really? Why end it like this? Because I don't think that Schwarzenegger is going to play the Terminator ever again. But why end it uh, with this movie? Oh, my gosh. It's a little bit like that Ghostbusters movie, but the female Ghostbusters movie? Actually, think I think that ha- that was better than, than this Terminator movie. <sighs> Don't send me hate mail. But I was so disappointed. Because I love the Terminator franchise. I really love, 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 love everything about it. And now I've been re-watching Terminator Genesis. I'm thinking, you know what? That's actually not that bad. Even the third Terminator movie wasn't that bad. There was this television show, two seasons, also based on the Terminator uh, franchise. That was actually pretty okay. Everything, almost everything was better than this movie. So, Terminator Dark Fate, yeah. Forget about it. Final series that I want to briefly touch upon, because I've only seen three episodes now, is a a bit of a binge-watch success uh, for, I think it's on Netflix, if I'm not mistaken, Emily in Paris. This is a kind of rom-com-like series Uh, which is filmed on location in one of the most beautiful cities of the world, Paris. Paris. And I applaud the makers for actually filming this in Paris and actually having French-speaking actors, not all of them, but most of them, uh, play pretty well. Believable. The believability of this series is zero. But (laughs) at least we got real French people, not American actors trying to you know, do a French accent, which is always terrible. Um, what what this is, is pure escapism. I've, seen, I've read a lot of reviews, uh, and I, I agree with all of them, uh, complaining about the cliches, complaining about everything that's not right, about uh, the way they portray the French and way the Parisians in general. Um, like, everything you've ever heard in terms of cliches about the French is part of this series but it's done in you know such a cheerful way and and the 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 visual style is so bright and so colorful and so romantic i'm thinking you know what this is just like you've got mail or anyone it almost feels old-fashioned this feels like like a a a 90s uh romantic movie and it's it's i think it's well done um not for kids uh because of some of the the topics and relationships. It's not very moral. This is not the the good place. Uh, but it's pure escapism. And they show Paris, not the real Paris, of course. In When you are in Paris, you barely ever see the bloody Eiffel Tower. You really have to make an effort to see the Eiffel Tower. And even if you see it, you can't really film it, at least not for television, because then you have to pay the rights to to actually feature this building. So I guess they paid uh, the, the French um, or the, the Parisian um, government a lot of money because the Eiffel Tower is in every single uh, episode and every single scene. It's, it's just insane. Uh, all the, all the, the story beats take place in famous places, but it's always portrayed um, as if the real Paris does not exist. So there are no swearing people or honking taxis or uh, there's no noise from traffic. Everything is cheerful and bright. But that, I think, is why people love this series so much. It's it's like a totally romanticized version of Paris. And yet, at the same time, it's really filmed there. This is not green screen stuff. And... um, and I think it must have an extra appeal for those of you that are not living in Europe because it shows you, of course, the beauty of, of, of Europe and, and, you know, being in a city that's hundreds and hundreds of years old with all the amazing architecture and art and nature. Ah, it's a lovely city. If only Paris looked the way it looks in this series. But I think the same is true for Rome. You know, when you when you think of Rome, even when I think back of the time that I spent in Rome, I tend to forget about the pollution, about the noise, about all the irritations that you have. Um, and you remember the highlights. When I think of Rome, I see 
St. Peter's Square, I see the, the Pantheon, I see uh, gelato stores, I see sunshine, and I forget about all those months of rain and, and wind and the noise, the constant noise in Rome with the ambulances. Every minute of the day and night. Um, but Rome also has this, I don't know, this fantasy equivalent. It's a little bit like what you see in Disney World when you go to the international section. I forgot what it was called. And they do like these postcard versions of various countries in Europe. And if you go to the Dutch Quarter, it's like everybody's walking around in wooden shoes and you've got windmills and all this stuff. There is, you, if you are in the Netherlands, you really have to look hard to find that cliche image of the Netherlands. It's there, of course, it's based on certain parts of my country. But, you know, my world doesn't look like that at all. And I think for the French, and especially people from Paris, when they watch this series, it's like, oh my gosh, if only our city could look like that. <laughs> but it doesn't. Um, so anyway, it's funny. It's funny, and I'm, I'm still, it's it's. Uh, very um, good material for binge watching. The episodes are not too long. The story, um, overall story, is a bit like, like it's about this young woman who is sent to Paris to do the social media for like a big company that manages all these fancy brands. And of course, the French are are portrayed as being very hostile towards her. And uh, of course, we don't care for Instagram and we don't need, we are above that. And then she shows them, of course, that with her American charm, she's able to win the hearts of everyone and, of course, make the brands grow and grow and grow. You know, where would they be without the United States? So it's got a little bit of, uh, well, a, an American cliche as well. Like the Americans will show this old-fashioned lazy, slow Europe, how it's done. And I'm thinking, well, <laughs> I'm not sure if here in Europe we're currently watching the United States and immediately think, oh, that is our shining beacon of hope. This is our example. We should emulate what's happening right now in the United States and try to make our societies like theirs. I don't think you will find many people here in Europe that are thinking that right now. Things may change, of course. Your mileage may vary, but uh, but it it is also part of the kind of the cliche nature of the of this uh, of this series. But you know, it's nothing more than a rom com escapism series, and I I do think that in these bleak times where we can't travel, where you know we we need dreams like this. I predicted this years ago when there was this you know. Every movie was about this post-apocalyptic society. Every single television... You, you remember, if you've been listening to me for a couple of years, you remember my rants about movies have been completely devoid of color and everything is so bleak and dark. And I was predicting, you know, well, I wouldn't be surprised that in a couple of years from now, we will see the opposite and everything will be bright and cheerful and we will have wonderful stories full of humor and positivity and hope and colors and music... Because that's how we work. When we are in trouble, when the world is dark, we tell each other stories of hope. We cheer each other up. And we, well, because we have such a need to be encouraged, that is where we will, will go. And where our eyes go, where our eyeballs go, that's where the money goes. So, yeah. I think the, for me, the, the, the movie that exemplifies this and it was kind of like the breaking point was La La Land when I saw La La Land it's like what? La La Land too. speaking of almost a genre La La Land shows you a romanticized version of, of LA it's filmed on location but everything is so much brighter and more cheerful than the real LA but we don't mind we want to dream we want to have this fantasy of all these cities that we'd love to well, we wouldn't want to live in the real cities we would definitely want to live in their fantasy county counterparts. Anyway, enough about this. Let's go visit the Peculiar Bunch. <laughs> Catholics rock! Hey 
here in the Peculiar Bunch. We're always happy to tell you everything you always wanted to know, but you are afraid to ask. Carrots can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? You can always ask me anything you want to know about Catholics and their traditions. It's just that when you're supposed to get in the chat room, I can't react right away. Because I'm recording a show. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. In the chat, some people, maybe some new people that are watching this, is like, Father Roderick, why don't you react to what we're posting in the chat? It's because I am very bad at multitasking. When I record a show, I want to be there for my listeners, and I need to focus on what I'm saying. Otherwise, I'm just going to blabber, and that I have a tendency to do that anyways. So that's why I'm not always looking at the chat. Uh, I have the same problem when I'm playing video games. Like I'm, I'm like yesterday I was playing Star Wars Squadrons or day before yesterday, and then people started a whole discussion about abortion in Poland. Like, uh, 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 that's not what I'm doing right now. You know, I'd gladly discuss that some other time, but I'm playing a Star Wars game right now and. I'm having trouble surviving in my TIE fighter, and then you're going to ask me all these completely non-related questions. <laughs> I mean, shows... Uh, the, the upside is it shows that people are very comfortable in the chat room, and that's fine, and I love that. Uh, but there is a time and a place for, for things, and I, I can't be everything to everyone, so my apologies. I do want to be here for those of you that have some questions about what they read in the news the other day about Pope Francis and civil unions for homosexual partners. That was a big thing in the news. Maybe you missed it, but if you're kind of following a little bit what's happening in the Catholic Church, then you may have seen this and wondered, what's up with this? Wasn't wasn't the Catholic Church against homosexuality? Um, now, this is a topic that I've talked about many times times in the past. I've been doing this show for 15 years, so obviously this is a topic that, uh, that, that sometimes is back in the news and then I talk about it. Um, and what I always, so let me just do a, a very quick recap. The Catholic Church has very dark pages in its history when it comes to how they've been treating other people and people, especially different people, people from other faiths, other cultures, other colors. Um, and maybe also other orientations. And the Catholic Church uh, is, is trying to be as transparent as possible about her own dark side and dark history of intolerance, of violence, of uh, robbing people from their freedom to be who they are, lack of respect and all of that. At the same time, the Church knows that she's called to always go beyond her own failures. Uh, we are called to constant conversion. We have to come always, we we'll always have to test whether how we look at the world, if that is ex if that is what the gospel tells us to do, if that is what Jesus wants us to, to do or not. And so there is a certain evolution also in in the relationship between the world and the uh, and the surrounding culture. And what is always for outsiders difficult to understand is that the church both has these dogmas, these fixed truths that she believes in that are unchangeable and in a certain way can't really evolve because we're talking about the truth. It's not that you know one day one plus one is maybe three or four because evolution. No. It, well, that's kind of how the church looks at certain dogmas, certain things that are for her part of this revealed truth about who we are and how God wants us to be. Like the commandments. There, there's not an evolution in these Ten Commandments. They're still just as true today. The guidelines that are just as important today as they were when they were received by Moses on, on the mountain. Uh, and, and we're talking about so much time, and yet... These are basic guidelines that are true for every generation. But on the other hand, there are always also a lot of things th th that are evolving where the church is changing its attitude or its uh, view on society, on certain aspects of society, on relationships, um, often helped by sciences, by what science teaches us, what psychology teaches us, sociology. There's so many things that the church itself still has to discover. And so... Um, 
I'm always a proponent of a Catholic church that is humble, that that does hold on to the things that are that she believes to be true and universally true, and I think it's important. Tr- the truth itself cannot um, cannot change; otherwise, it's not the truth, right? So there are it's like certain values, certain values, and when the church, for instance, talks about uh, euthanasia, about abortion, about life itself, it's never a religious discourse. It's always a discourse based on reason, based on universal values that transcend and and go way beyond the church itself. Um, and so the value of life is an intrinsic value according to the church. And so that is why the Catholic Church is opposed uh, to abortion and, and euthanasia and is all for helping people in difficult situations, helping mothers that may be pregnant uh, or have a, a pregnancy that, that uh, may have complications. and, and what. The, the church is always like, be close to the people in need, just as much as with people that don't want to live anymore. The church is always looking for solutions to that involve caring instead of killing. So then we're talking about universal values and, and in certain way, unchangeable things. What about... Uh, the care for people that have same-sex orientation, homosexuals, lesbian people, um, kind of on a different level, uh, uh, trans people, um, the, 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 the church in trying to understand this, uh, this phenomenon, I'm, I'm trying to talk about it as neutrally as possible, uh, is there is, on the one hand, of course, why are people the way they are? And there are many different ways of looking at that. And, uh, the, for instance, psychology has a lot of things to say about that and makes a lot of uh, distinctions in, in uh, various forms of orientation that people can have. But the church, and I think rightfully says, well, that's not our domain. That's we, we will follow science and we will learn. We will try to learn in order to be able to, to help and to be closer to, to those people. But the church does have an opinion on two other levels. First of all, uh, you can never hurt other people. You can never discriminate. No matter what people's situation in life is, they are always to be respected as children of God. As being, lo- if God loves everyone, even sinners, who are we to not do the same? And so, any form of unjust discrimination, even looking back at her own past, the church will reject that and will say, "No, these people are going through." And that's also an assessment. Um, a lot of people in uh, that that are not kind of part of the mainstream heterosexual culture. We'll have a very difficult life sometimes. We'll, we'll be kicked out, we'll be marginalized, we'll be discriminated against. We'll even have, in, in some countries, we'll have to fear for their lives. The church wants to be with these victims of that intolerance and discrimination, even though the church has not always been, and certain groups in the church still are not... Uh, <laughs> uh, don't have that attitude. The church one always wants to care for people and help people, and uh, so the church is very firm on on not accepting discrimination of of homosexual people, uh, LGBTQ people, um, and quite on the contrary, they're supposed to be part of the family of God. They're su- they're children of God. They're supposed to be part of the church's family. The second element that the church has something to say about or wants to say something about is, a, is, is about relationships and what the church believes is God's will in that. And when it comes to the sexual aspect of relationships, and it's just a part of certain relationships, the church will say and believes that that is what God uh, wants her to, to, to witness, um, is that 
sexual relationships are for uh, married people, for a man and a woman open to life. It's a very simple principle. And in all other situations, we are called to live in, uh, in chastity and to, to have, uh, how would you say that? To have respect for each other's bodies, respect for our own bodies. Now, that is the ideal. That is something that the church believes will help us to be happy. At the same time, we all know that the, the ideal is often difficult to, uh, to reach and to realize. And so the church all, always will be merciful towards people that will not be able to implement that in their lives. Uh, and, and that aspect of mercy is especially important when it comes you know, to the uh, accompaniment that the church wants to give. Um, and the, especially in the past few years, of course, the church has shown to have major problems among her own, in her own ranks of, of people that are called to live a life in chastity, that have promised to live a chaste life, but are actually living a double life and are not able to realize that ideal and sometimes do exactly the opposite of what they're called to do. And then in most cases, the church will be, will be trying to help these people to come back and, and do the right thing. But also when people deliberately have violated uh, the trust or the integrity of other people, for instance, in uh, the abuse crisis, the church can, will also condemn, will also punish, but always with this uh, ulterior motive to change the heart of the people that, it, that she punishes. Now, what happened this uh, past week? A, um, a documentary came out in which uh, Pope Francis is heard saying that uh, he believes that uh, someone who has same-sex orientation is a homosexual or lesbian or L LGBTQ should never be robbed of a family, can never be kicked out. And then, in the documentary at least, immediately afterwards says, shouldn't there be, or I think there should be, some form of a civil union or civil recognition uh, uh, to, to protect um uh, people living together, you know, same-sex couples, basically. The this was a shock for uh, for a lot of journalists, uh, news media, and also for for Catholics and Christians um, that were a little bit, you know, had trouble combining this with what the church preaches and or or teaches, and that is that um, uh, even though. You know, people that are, let's say that marriage is between a man and a woman, <laughs> and that all other relationships should be chaste. Um, and so, but that that you have to combine that with um, the opposition that the Catholic Church has had and held against uh, um, homosexual marriage, where the Church says, well, if you call it marriage. In our definition, marriage is always between a man and a woman. Um, so if you talk about uh, legalizing uh, marriage for homosexuals, then that actually uh, changes the definition of what marriage is. And that, that is where the church worried a lot. Is, isn't this going to make marriage itself kind of relative? Um, it's, it's a difficult discussion, and, and very difficult to keep it nuanced because, of course, with the sensitivity and with the, 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 the pain that a lot of people in, in, uh, in, in, in these situations have already had to endure and the intolerance and discrimination that is still prevalent in, in, in many parts of our societies, um, that is all, that's often seen as a rejection. So why wouldn't homosexual people have the right to have a legal uh, union, a civil union. Uh, why wouldn't the law protect these, these uh, forms of relationships? I mean, if the church is against it because of religious reasons, then, you know, but that's, society is not Catholic, you know. 
So the church should should meddle with these with these uh, processes. Now, the th- what makes this so complicated is that the documentary itself seemingly uses quotes from different interviews and kind of patches them together to suggest uh, that Pope Francis has said more than he actually meant to say. Uh, the some of, some of the quotes that are now creating a lot of confusion, or at least, well, not, maybe not confusion, but a lot of um, interest, is... Um, uh, those quotes are from a, an interview that he did in, t- in 2019 and that were not aired at the time. Um, Pope Francis has already said in the past, uh, when he was speaking to parents of children with uh, um, uh, same-sex attraction, that he, wo- that he thought it was terrible if parents would judge their children for that or would kick them out of the family. And he encouraged parents to always make room for their children to, to create safety, to, to be who they are and to come forward and without fear of being rejected. And in that context, he has said almost the same as what he says in this interview, you cannot kick them out of the family. They're part of, of your family and you, especially as parents, you have to listen to your child and be close to your child and support and, and accept your child, uh, accept your children for what they are. Uh, and I think I can, I'm totally 100% behind that. And then in a, uh, another, uh, when he was still archbishop in Argentina, he has uh, voiced uh, several times that maybe as a, an alternative, and he presented this as, as an alternative for the recognition of homosexual marriage, which he was opposed to because of the confusion that it would create about the definition of marriage, um, that maybe a civil, uh, like a civil acknowledgement of other relationships, same-sex relationships, would be a, a good way to make sure these people are protected. And that when people choose a relationship like that, they still have certain rights connected to it. However, it would be civil union, and you wouldn't call it marriage. That is kind of what they what they uh, inserted in this documentary, following the remarks on the family, and that made it a little bit complicated in the sense that it suggests that when Pope Francis is talking about family and about the recognition of civil unions, he's actually talking about same-sex marriage. And that those families... Uh, so it implies that he's also talking about, for instance, homosexual couples that have adopted children. That that is, should, should be also, you know, we should accept these civil unions and we should also grant people the right to have these families. Well, but that would oppose multiple times that Pope Francis has said... Will the child have a, has a right too to have a mother and a father, um, and so you know he. I think that Pope Francis is not uh, in favor of homosexual couples adopting children um, because he's looking also at it from the from the point of view of the development of children. Now, all of that, of course, is. Um, has way more nuance than you will read in the news and even in these few minutes that I'm talking about it here on the show. And I'm trying to be as nuanced as possible, and, but I, I, I still know that this is going to rub people the wrong way and they were like, but this and that, why didn't you specify this? Or, um, but always ask yourself, so why is this rubbing me the wrong way? Why do I get so emotional about this? Because that, that is, I think way more important to answer than, you know, where is the church heading? And is this, a, is this a change of doctrine or anything? I don't think it is, personally. I don't think that the Pope, that Pope Francis has said anything um, that he wouldn't be able to justify theologically and morally. Um, and if you look at the broader context of how everything that Pope Francis has said about marriage, about uh, children, about same-sex couples, the way also if you look at how he has treated people from the LGTB community, inviting them over, spending sometimes hours talking to them, including transgender people and 
Pope Francis is a pastor. He's a shepherd. He wants to be close to everyone, and he does not reject anyone. And I think in that respect, he is doing what the church is called to do and what the, how the church itself defines its own mission towards the LGTB community. It's to, to not reject, not kick them out of the church, embrace them and help them, but also say, tell the truth of how the church envisions uh, healthy relationships. Um, what was I going to say? What else was I going to say? So always look at the context, whereas, you know, in the news always has a tendency to just isolate quotes and not look at other stuff that Pope Francis has said. And then, uh, of course, you've got also Catholics that are, you know, again, uh, going overboard and seeing this as another definitive proof that Pope Francis is destroying the church and morality and is the devil incarnate. Uh, There are Catholics actually thinking that. And I'm thinking, um, maybe first ask yourself, is this, is this, do I, do I really think this? And am I not too quick in my judgment? Should I judge? Because if you judge, you're going to be judged with the same measure, you know? Um, how much love is there? How much effort to understand is there in, in how I express myself or how I think about this Pope or about things that he is supposed to have said? Um, there's a lot of, Patience, I think, that we need to learn, especially in these very, uh, uh, you know, times where where we're always thinking in terms of of politics, where everything becomes politicized, even things that are not supposed to be, like church and theology. Uh, But the only true medicine to polarization and uh, intolerance and hatred is to have a patient and merciful heart. This is nothing new. St. Paul, the apostle, tells us to adopt that attitude, to not judge, to not condemn, to love first, to forgive, to try to understand, to listen. It's in the gospel. It's in... It's in, it's in <laughs> In the New Testament. So why do so many people have so much trouble putting that into practice? Those are the real questions that we should ask. And only if we have, I think, a humble, patient, pastoral heart, only then can we truly care for people that may be different from what, what, what we are or that have a different outlook on the world, on relationships than we have. If we... You cannot change the ones you judge. That is, that's very important to remember. And that's true for the LGBT community. It's true for the Pope. It's true for the church. Always ask yourself, so why do I judge? Why do I feel all these emotions? What is truly going on there? Am I afraid? Do I truly care for the other person? Have I had enough patience? Did I really listen? Did I really make room for the other? Am I opposed to anything that changes because I'm afraid that everything will crumble? What does that say about my faith in, in the church, in the guidance of the Holy Spirit, etc., etc., etc.? Many questions. There's so much more that I could say about this, but I'm not going to because I need to wrap up this show. Um, and I'm going to do that by telling you what uh, is going to be left over for my other show, my other weekly show that I record for my patrons. Of course, I had a much longer list of talking points, but I want to do a book review. Um, a book, Unf Yourself. <laughs> Can't really say the entire title here, but it's, it's a really good book, so I'll give you a short review on Father Roderick to the Max. Also, of course, dive into my own kitchen and teach you how to make Dutch crepes. We'll talk a little bit about um, what I've learned on the internet. And I want to talk about chocolate and Hershey chocolate. And why to people that didn't grow up with Hershey chocolate, Hershey chocolate tastes like vomit. I'm not kidding you. I tried it out. 
Uh, there is actually a, re a scientific reason for that. Uh, you'll hear more about it on Father Roderick to the Max. Um, and we'll talk about dancing in the church and whether that is allowed or not. <laughs> so, that and much more for those of you that are supporting me on patreon.com slash fatherroderick. If you want to get access to that uh, episode every week, Father Roderick to the Max, then by all means, take a look, become part of the community, get access to the Discord server, and um, let's make great shows together. And I can't do that without your help. Patreon.com slash Father Roderick. Thanks for listening. Sorry if I offended you with this last topic by things that I didn't explain very well. These are difficult topics, especially if you're kind of talking off the cuff. I'm doing my best. Hopefully you'll also have compassion and uh, we can always continue the discussion on the Discord server. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Talk to you soon. <laughs>